So today is May 15th, 2019, and you're calling it. I'm officially calling it Season 10. Yes. One of the longest running science podcasts <laughs> known. They can't, they can't take that away from us. We just started a long time ago. Yeah. Ten, ten years ago. Ten. Oh my God. That's a yeah. long time. It's a long time. That was 20. No, 2009. That's ten, that's 10 years. That's 10, yeah. yeah. Yeah, Did you that. find a paper saying we were one of the longest-running science-based right. podcasts? Yes, that's we've been doing it a long fact. time. Yeah, you can't argue that. Can't argue facts. And we're still going. We're still going. So we're we hope like, to pick up the activity now that there's stuff happening. So much to talk about. Let's let's jump right into it. Okay. I see. See, we have a little sheet for our listener. We've got some stuff to talk about. Number one, update on current pest activity. Yeah, for those of you in Iowa, you certainly know we've had a slow start to the spring. Planting is way behind in almost all areas of the state. But that doesn't mean insects are behind because they don't care if a crop is planted. Well, I mean, eventually they'll care because they'll run out of food, but, you know, their development can't be stopped. And so I have a few pests that I monitor every spring based on accumulating degree days with the help of the mesonet from the Department of Agronomy. Mesonet. Yes, and shout out to Daryl. Thanks, Herzman. Um, I've been able to just give some updates on pest, pest, pest oh man, pest activity. We don't, we don't edit. That's no. staying in. Oh yeah, it's staying in for sure. 10 years. So one thing, bad news for bean leaf beetles, oh. that polar vortex just wiped out, I mean, 99 plus percent for the majority of the state. It's so, so cold. Yeah, it's one of the coldest winters we've had as far as just absolute temperatures, air temps. We just do a, a recap. Was in January when the polar vortex landed over the Midwest? I think February, yeah. I, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, did we get two? I think it was just like a kind of a constant stream. But but there was a period where they shut down school mm-hmm. because it was so cold. We were like minus 20, yeah. minus 30. yeah. Yeah. And because of bean leaf beetles overwinter above ground and leaf litter and debris, they're really sensitive to air temps. So uh, I'm estimating none of them, well, very few of them survived, especially north of I-80. So if that's a problem for you, especially if you deal with bean pod model virus, you know, that might not be one of your that, things you have to think about. That, that's a blessing. It's a, it's a, it's yeah. a super minor pest, I would we, expect, this we, year. We suffered to gain. We suffered the polar vortex to gain a little less uh, Maybe some other issues, spring. yeah. Also, when I think cool, wet springs, I think seeds spring germinating. Break. What's that? <laughs> when you think cool, wet spring, you think spring break? No. <laughs> I think seed cord maggot. We're on different pages, Matt. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You're thinking yeah. spring break. I'm well, thinking maggots. The semester just ended. My head is still a little bit in the classroom mm-hmm. and working with undergraduates. I've but. forgotten all about those undergrads. That's so nice. I, I didn't say that out loud. No. Um, no, when I think cool, wet springs and like seeds sitting in the ground, you know, they're not germinating quickly or they're not emerging vigorously. Mm-hmm. I think about seed corn maggot, slugs, wireworms, and things like that. 
And so I also estimate degree days for seed corn maggot. Okay. And the adults are flying. So just be aware if you have seeds that are planted and not germinating quickly, maybe take a scout for seed corn maggot. And so this is going to be seedling injury. And this is going to be a problem because those adults are flying around. They're looking for someplace to lay their eggs, Mm -hmm. and they can get at that seed that's just sitting there. Yeah, and especially if you have if you fertilize with manure, that's especially attractive mm-hmm. to the females. Mm-hmm. So those are the, mm-hmm. the fields I would give a higher priority for scouting. I, I recall Ron Hammond, back when he was at Ohio State University, did some work in the late 80s, early 90s, looking at how seed corn maggot responds to, excuse me, to being in, uh, being in fields where the previous year it had been either fallow or like a per, more perennial crop like alfalfa mm-hmm. and the, the less disturbed the soil the more likely the you would have a population of seed corn maggot okay to, not that that's a big issue for large acres of iowa but mm-hmm. yeah know, those few that are in that unique situation are probably even more at risk given the the weather conditions yeah i i would say the same for wireworms and grubs as well. If they have been in a pasture, grassland, uh, long-term alfalfa, those would be the top top priority for scouting for mm-hmm. those kinds of early seedling, seed and seedling pests. Uh, I've heard a lot about some pretty severe winter injury for alfalfa around the state, and it's having a really hard time kind of resuming growth. Damn you, um, polar so, vortex. I know, and then, you but along with that, it uh, comes with alfalfa weevil oh. feeding. So if you have fields that are struggling on top of alfalfa weevil feeding, uh, you could have sort of double whammy type uh, problems this spring. So watch out for the weevils as you're kind of assessing stands this year. Is that an issue where you would just cut that? Well, to try to reset the crop and take away the host uh, for the weevils? Certain times of year cutting can be a management tactic, but probably not right now because they're, I mean, I think most stands are under 12 inches. Mm. Probably people wouldn't be cutting uh, right now, but yeah, if if the frosting or whatever that injury is sort of described as becomes too intense, sometimes a cutting or a foliar insecticide would be needed. Otherwise, you just have really stressed crops. And then lastly, but wait, there's more. Oh, there's so much more. Um, we also have a moth trapping network with the thanks or thanks to Ashley Dean and Adam Sisson, and we have 30 plus traps kind of spread throughout Iowa, and we monitor for black cutworm and true armyworm. And what they've done is, you know, they get reports coming in from around the state and based on flights coming in from the southern U.S., they would be able to estimate predicted cutting dates in corn. And so they've done that with the help of all of our cooperators. And for most of the state, predicted dates would be around the 23rd of May. So showing up, you know, sometime next week. So if you happen to have, especially cover crops, and that's an attractive place for these moths to lay eggs. If you're terminating the cover crop, you have corn coming up, uh, those would be fields to scout first is uh, those fields around the 23rd, 25th of May. So I thought I heard last week that something like 39%, maybe 40% of the corn crop has been planted in Iowa. Yeah. So uh, I'm guessing that those fields were maybe not following a cover crop, but I don't know. Uh, It's highly variable. Yeah. And so there's corn kind of popping up depending on where you are in the state, because there's some actually some dry areas of the state where people were 
able to get in sooner. Something's dry in Iowa. Yeah. Yeah, southwest. <laughs> not my backyard. Not, not the very, very uh, yeah. western edge, but some parts of southern, southwestern Iowa are dry enough to plant. And then if you talk to, like, agronomists like Paul Castle and northern, you know, there's been quite a bit of corn planting going on. And although corn, corn is slow to emerge, uh, there's, there's seedlings all over the place. And so, yes, it, it does deserve uh, some scouting just to make sure that the corn stand is kind of what you think it is. And what are we what are we looking for when we scout for that? Are we looking for activity, like damage seedlings, or? Well, they can definitely defoliate leaves, but in the case of black cutworm, they can just straight up nip that thing right off at the soil surface, so you'll have plants missing. So it's important to distinguish: did I have a skip, like while planting, or did a seed go on the ground and it just got eaten away? Mm -hmm. So yeah. And if I'm using a seed treatment on that corn, mm -hmm. am I safe? Well. 99% of corn here has a seed treatment. So okay. um, I would say that, eh, 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 eh. Yeah. Um, I mean, because they have to take a bite in order to, you know, I mean, so the damage has been done that that, yeah. that cutworm may not survive too long, but it's still but it did enough doing the injury. But that, that planting coming back. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. So, you know, if you're reaching 3 to 5% stand loss because of cutworms or armyworms, it's probably a smart move to take some action mm -hmm. so you don't have that stand loss. So there's no guarantee with the seed treatment that you're getting protection from these moths that are coming in? No, I, in, in my opinion, insecticidal seed treatments on corn help protect the seed, not necessarily the seedling. Uh -huh. So very quickly it kind of burns out of that juice. So it's going to help protect the, the seed while it's trying mm -hmm. to germinate and get out of the ground. Yeah, that's... Mm -hmm. Ah, the more you know. Hashtag. Yeah, so those are just, you know, I've talked a little bit about corn pests, but those are some of the things that I've been seeing. And then um, I have a couple of projects going on with Allison Robertson. She's a plant pathologist. And Mark Licht, who's an agronomist, uh, looking at cover crop surveys. And so we were looking at five different farms around Iowa. And we've been sampling rye. It's the cover crop used in all the treatments. We have not found any cutworms or armyworms, but we're finding a good handful of aphids, uh, bird oh, really? cherry, oat aphid, and English grain aphid. So care about that, not necessarily because of the rye, but because it can spill over to corn. So this is a, a green bridge, potentially. Yep, definitely. And um, do we know this for sure, that the aphids on the rye are going to make it over to the corn, or it's a potential? It's definitely potential because corn is <coughs> something they would like to feed on. Yeah. I mean, I mean, they would prefer small grains, but I think they would feed on corn. Yeah. And that, um, I guess the question I would, this is, this is really interesting to me because the, you would recommend that that cover crop be brown and down before planting. You want the biggest window possible when it comes to insects. Yeah. Okay. But in, in a year like this, it's hard because the weather conditions make it hard. So even if people are trying to burn down their herb with a herbicide it's acting very slowly because it's cool mm -hmm. so it's not mm -hmm. it's not turning brown and down maybe as quickly as a farmer would like but you know they're trying to get their corn in the ground too because they, they want a long growing season uh maybe is brown is that, down is that, the is title, that our title? For this podcast, yeah it or? really is yeah we just confirmed that okay yeah yeah because I, I i remember uh oh gee you know give a shout out to mike dunbar who was a grad student uh that did some work with the corn cap to Aaron Gassman and I looking at how cover crops might put cr uh, the corn crop at risk for pests and 
Yeah, the recommendation that the experiment was following was this brown and down. You know, two weeks, like I said, a big window that you think would break up that green bridge, you know, the, keeping the insects from going from the cover crop to the main crop. But, you know, life sets in, and it's hard to make that actually happen. Um, and especially now that we're getting late into May, I can imagine there isn't the luxury to wait to plant. Yeah, farmers are definitely going to go as soon as possible to get the rest of their corn in the ground and then soybeans too, depending on where they're at with that. That's interesting. Mm -hmm. So and those are my, those are some of the, you know, what's happening right now with pest activity around Iowa. Yeah, I see you had uh, number two here, aphid egg hatch. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can also estimate egg hatch for soybean aphid. Uh -huh. It overwinters on buckthorn, uh, mainly in the northern part of the state. And I've, that's just a simple, you know, accumulating degree days again, like we do for a lot of other pests. And uh, I thought you maybe just want to talk about why that's important. Since yeah. I've been talking for about five minutes. So. <laughs> it's, no, it's, it's sort of something you've been looking after for a few years. So I thought maybe yeah. you'd, you'd like to talk. Yeah, this is a little bit complicated um, issue because um, it brings up issues of scale. Um, so, yeah, the biology of the soybean aphid is that it's on buckthorn and they are responding to a couple of cues, temperature and then the, um, the biology of the plant. So as the plant begins to um, break its buds and form leaves and there's enough temperature, um, the aphid eggs hatch and you get one to what, four generations of the soybean aphid on buckthorn. It's generating those, gener those aphids which are going to colonize soybean. So we don't really care that the the aphid is on buckthorn, but we do care when it leaves for soybeans. So apparently from your model... Uh, it's not my model. I just, I use other people's models. But, yeah. But but running those models, yep. you, you've uh, got some evidence that that egg hatch is occurring mm -hmm. in Iowa. So you might say, oh, bad news. You know, let's, uh, let's gear up and make sure all our soybeans are protected. But the reality, I think, is a little bit more complicated. It's going to be several weeks, maybe even a month, before we see some, some seedling soybeans coming out of the ground. I mean, there's there's certain parts of the state where people were planting soybeans first. So oh, there really? should be soybeans out of the ground in some parts of the state. Some we, part, yeah. 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 So, but, and that's, that's but the, the majority field, yeah, it's going to be a couple weeks before most of them are up. And, you know, those aphids have to get off of buckthorn, find soybeans, uh, and then get to work feeding. And like you said, in some parts, maybe this has happened, mm -hmm. but you know, reality for most farmers is they're gonna plant the corn first and then the soybeans, and as we get bouts of rain, that's just gonna delay planting. So um, I, don't, I don't know what the percentage is for the state, but I'm yeah. guessing it's pretty low as to how much of the plant acreage of soybean is in the ground. And it's probably pretty spotty. I thought the last time I looked at the um, the drought monitor for the United States, there were some dry pockets, but they were mostly in the southeast of, the, of Iowa, which uh, is not an area of the state that gets a lot of soybean aphid outbreaks, yeah. and um, you know probably the least uh, of my concerns for where aphid outbreaks could occur. So. Why, why not be so alarmed by this? Well, there's 
there's a gap in time, but there's also a gap in space. You can find buckthorn pretty much anywhere in Iowa, but it's real small, uh, spotty stands of buckthorn. It's not until you get north and east of us, especially along the Mississippi River and up into Minnesota and Wisconsin, that you see bigger, substantial stands, which I think, I don't know, but I uh, think those are where the aphids are, soybean aphids are most likely to overwinter, and the fields nearby are most likely to get colonized. And then it's those aphids coming off of those soybeans that um, are responsible for the aphids we get in Iowa. So, yeah, it's happening. Um, but to what extent it's a risk for our uh, growers in Iowa, you know, it's probably pretty small right now. I think we get secondary outbreak or secondary immigrations that would form an outbreak in Iowa. Yeah, I agree with you. But it just sort of gives you a, you know, it's just, it's one of those things where it's, it's nice to know where we're at with some of the pest activity yeah. and knowing a catch is probably happening. What does that mean when it coincides with crop development? Well, I guess we'll just have to stay in touch. Yeah, and a lot of this is driven by factors that are out of a farmer's control. Yeah. Temperature, rainfall. Mm-hmm. Um, temperature being the biggest one. Uh, insects are cold-blooded. Uh, like reptiles, they need that degree day. They need the temperature in order to grow because they can't thermoregulate. And this is something that if I sound like I'm lecturing right now, I may be because mm-hmm. I just got done teaching this past semester and I teach a, a class on um, entomology and pest management, and it's from soup to nuts, you know that expression? Mm-hmm. And yeah. And we like everything. You know, we have to, this might be the only entomology class that the agronomy and hort students get, and so we've got to talk identification, ecology, and management, and one of the things I hammer on is how temperature-dependent insects are and in terms of their development and their growth, and it's that that allows us to generate the models that you use to make predictions. Yeah. Um, and it's one of those that I think, um, well, it is. It's the basis for our fun insect trivia. Matt's fit. Yeah. So, ain't get fit with Matt. Um, I'm actually not feeling that fit, but that's a whole other story. Uh, so, one of the... Uh, one of the kind of fun sort of facts I keep in the uh, back of my head and uh, bust out when I'm teaching is how many insects there are, how many insects by different species, um, or by different, I'm sorry, not species, how many insects there are by different um, taxonomic groupings. So one of the one of the fun ones that I, what? All your movements are... are oh, sorry, you pick up all of yeah. them. I get fidgety when I start talking. I know, talking. your pen capping thing is... I'm about this close from upsiding you on the head. <laughs> Sorry, listener. Podcast is mom. Just context keep listening. Context for it. Um, so one of the things that uh, one fact that I might throw out in class is you know how many species of bees there are in North America. Mm. How many? It's like well, I don't 4, know. 000. I was going to say four to five thousand. Yeah, four thousand is okay. the estimate. Um, and you know, like, well, that's nice. Um, but we're. we're most of these students are interested in pests, and so here's one that I, I, I just threw out. And here's the um, here, here's the the questions for you. I'm curious if you know this. I probably don't. You might, you might, because mm. we're going to give a shout out to um, a colleague here that generated this information. Okay. Um, how many species of mosquitoes are there? Oh. Worldwide, 
And then how many species in the United States? Worldwide, mosquitoes. Uh, I would imagine 2,500. Ooh, okay. Good. Okay. Well, Not bad. Okay. Not bad. Uh-huh. Turns out uh, 3,000. Oh. Plus or minus. Was, right? Yeah, it wasn't yeah. that far off. So how many in the United States? Mm, 225. Uh, oh, you See, this is why you got the PhD with the insects. Because <laughs> I can guess good. Not, uh, How far was that? Uh, 176 oh. is the estimate. Oh uh, man! For the United Do States. Do I get a prize? Yeah. Fist Someone bump. buy me a hey, mocha. Hey, you know what? You know what? I'll yeah. put the pen away. No more pen popping. Okay. Cat popping. So give me a mocha. Or All right. So uh, I mentioned there'd be a shout out to our colleague Ryan Smith here at Iowa State. He's the um, medical entomologist. He runs a mosquito surveillance program uh, that has been in existence since what? Wayne Rowley to. Two predecessors before him have maintained. Um, So, final fit, how many species of mosquitoes have been found in Iowa? I thought you just asked me. No, I said the United States. Oh. 175, 176. How many mosquitoes we have in Iowa? Uh, 14. <laughs> what? That's a little off. What? You were great with the other. Oh man! Um, so I went looking for this. I didn't know. I was curious. Uh-huh. Um, and it turns out we have, based on Ryan and, and uh, Lyric Bartholomew and Wayne Rowley before him, um, sixty-one species of mosquitoes mm. have okay. been found in that surveillance program. Mm. And there's probably that's probably maybe a low estimate, you know, because okay. some of the ones that they found there's a little bit of question mark uh, about if it's this, if they have the actual species right. There may be multiple species, but they're a little bit cryptic. But yeah, 61. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you can go onto their website. I'll share with you the URL okay. where people can look this up and find for their county and for different okay. years the number of mosquitoes when they were found and how many species. Okay. And this is important because a mosquito isn't a mosquito isn't a mosquito. You know, the, the diseases that they transmit, their ecology, whether or not they bite, not all mosquitoes feed on humans, um, is dependent upon what species they are. And they go through painstakingly and identify those that are found in their surveillance network uh, to species and then report the abundance. And where was I going with all this? Well, I, I knew uh, you were going to talk about how the cold, wet conditions are influencing planting and pests, they're also influencing other pests like mosquitoes. And uh, mosquitoes have, just like all other insects, degree uh, day models. And it's estimated like something like 50 degrees you have to reach to get the, the sort of populations out. You know, it's going to vary by species. Um, and then as the temperatures get warmer, they get more and more active. And it was really interesting looking at his website, you can go back and track what was the month um, and to a week, what was the, the were most act, where mosquitoes were most active. And I thought this was interesting. Um, you know, I would have thought July, which tends to be the hottest month uh, um, for Iowa, that would be the, the, the weeks where you'd see the most mosquito activity. It wasn't always the case. Last year, May was one of the um, weeks that had, uh, second week in May was one of the um, points in 2018 where they found the most mosquitoes in the um, in their traps. This is also one of the hottest Mays we've ever had. Does that help? Interesting. Interesting. Mm-hmm. I did not, I don't, I, 
that makes sense to me, but I didn't realize it was that hot. And also like wet. Like top four. Yeah. 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 So um, anyway, I want to give a shout out to him and um, kind of reemphasize some of the themes of this uh, this podcast. That... As, as long as we're plugging Ryan and his awesomeness, we should have him on the podcast. But he also, in addition to mosquitoes, does a surveillance of ticks. Yeah. And yeah. he is super excited to collect ticks from all over Iowa because he does some assessments of species and also some of the diseases that they carry in vector. And so I wonder uh, how we could maybe do that, but he's interested in collecting ticks and yeah. would love to have your ticks. <laughs> I'm sure he gets all kinds of packaging. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. I want your ticks. <laughs> please, please send ticks my way. Maybe can we I, could have them on the, can on I the ticks? podcast. And, cause I think the, Probably the, not a good line to use at a, at a party. No. No, I think that the the number of ticks, just like the incidence is increasing, but also the number that carry diseases that impact humans is increasing in Iowa. And my guess, I mean, you might say, well, what does that have to do with soybean pests if you're out in the field? Oh, yeah. Yeah, if you're walking in. That's how you get Lyme disease, like myself. (sighs) Uh, I have one last thing to wrap up with, if that's all right. Yeah. I wanted to give a shout out to Jenna Stevens who is an agriculture and a classroom consultant at the Clinton County Farm Bureau. Um, You're kind of responsible for this, Erin. She reached out to um, the entomology department back this spring, uh, well, early into the winter. She was in uh, with a group of um, high school students who wanted to do a podcast as part of NPR's um, challenge to students to uh, podcast their life, their experiences, their interests. Um, she reached out to entomology. The students that she was working with were interested in insects as food. And uh, she interviewed me and I think a couple other people. Um, students submitted it. I got to hear it. It was, it was really, they did a great job. Yeah. And, and they, they went deep. They went to um, uh, Cargill and had, had heard from Cargill about their plans to expand their, what is it Cargill does? Um, uh, help me out there. Like production? Well, like they're not grain? so much production, it's not grain, but, but it would be like storage yeah. and, and, and processing. Uh, processing, yeah. Like flour. And, yeah, and yeah. they were looking at insects as a food source for the future. Yeah. And especially as climate change and you know, human population expands. And so they uh, interviewed a bunch of entomologists about what the potential was. They submitted that. Sad news out of the 6,000 that were submitted, they were not. Selected as one of the winners, they got uh, put on NPR, but they did do a great job. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering, maybe this summer, it would be all right with you if we uh, shared that file. If it's shareable, yeah, let's do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah that'd be great. Because, uh, like I said, they did a great job. They're very interested, and, I, and I'd like the world to hear mm-hmm. what they did. So. Yeah. Uh, but a big shout out to Jenna Stevens and her students, and we'll uh, coming this summer. We'll post that on our podcast and share it with the rest. Yeah, of them. that's awesome. So that's all I got. Any upcoming okay. events? Uh, well, we have Pollinator Fest. Yes. It's a reoccurring event out at Ryman Gardens. That this is... year it's on the 22nd of June. Yep. So a couple Saturdays from now. It's a free thing. So come on out. It's great for youth, but the adults, anybody who's interested in pollinator, raising awareness and learning a few things, doing a few things, yeah. come Tasting on out. Tasting some honey, yeah. petting some bees, the drones. <laughs> so they're safe. Uh, big, uh, if you know a... Um, Boy Scout. Scout? Yeah. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Just Scouts? Just Scout now. Yeah. 
Why, Why you got to be like that? It's just scouts, I, Because man. I'm old. I'm slow to learn. Uh, but the scouts can achieve um, a badge, I believe, yeah. by completing um, activities that are available to them at Pollinator Fest. Yeah. Yeah, that's so. right. I forgot about that. So scout troops, come on out. Yeah, you're invited. Everybody's yeah. invited. You don't have to be a scout to go to Pollinator Fest. No, no. And it's a chance to do some hands-on stuff, so come on out. Okay. Um, I have a lot of questions about soybean gall midge demos this summer and i think i'm going to have a couple one in northwestern iowa and one in southwestern iowa in july more details to come when i get that firmed up but if you're curious at all to see what they look like some of the injury that they they can cause and maybe some management conversations i'll keep you up to date with that my first field day starts tomorrow at feel an early season management clinic and that's kind of happening throughout the summer so if you want again some hands-on activities to do not just entomology, but, but all things crop production and crop protection. Uh, I uh, can definitely keep you in the loops with that. And I just I want to give one shout out yeah. to you. No. Congrats, Matt. What? He got promoted. Oh. All y'all. He's a full professor now. That's oh. been, like tops of the top. Um, I don't know what the percentage is of people who start a career in academia and actually make it to full professor. It is a very low number. Oh. And so... Uh, <laughs> It is quite an achievement, and uh, if you see Matt, holler back, say congrats. It's a big milestone. Well, um, couldn't have done it without uh, you and my colleagues here. This is uh, there's very little that's done in science that isn't done as a team and through collaboration. And thanks. That's yeah, especially great. in entomology. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, can I give a shout out Please. to one of uh, your employees? Ooh, who's that? Uh, Randall Cass has. Uh, set up a workshop this summer, IPM for Bees. We'll put the link in our um, little box here. So this is a little bit out in the future, July 25th, 26th. It'll be in, uh, in Ames at Iowa State University. It's a um, gathering of bee researchers, extension stakeholders in the Midwest, a two-day workshop to serve as a platform for discussion, sharing research, and developing extension tools to promote IPM practices that improve the health of bees. So this is both IPM for bees in the sense of the insecticides, miticides that are used for managing things like varroa in the hive, but also IPM for the crops around the fields in which honeybees may be kept. So there's, Sounds great. Yeah. So uh, Randall's got together a, a, a workshop uh, and a website you can find uh, to register. And this is, I don't know, if, do we have any students that listen? I hope so. It's unknown. I, I hope so. Um, I think there's some youth listening they, to us. The students, uh, graduate students, I think undergraduates, can apply for travel scholarships to come to the meeting. Okay. And a small mini grants to do uh, activities, projects, etc. Uh, in the area of IPM for Bees. So shout out to great. Randall and the IPM for Bees workshop July 25th, 26th, this 2019. So much to do. Oh my gosh. How long have we been talking for? About 30 minutes. Oh just about right. It won't always be this much, I promise. No, I hope it is this much. Oh, yeah? 30 minutes is just about right. Awesome. I think. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we covered a lot. So season 10, there we go. Hope to communicate with you guys more regularly this summer. And you can find us, uh, if you just Google soybean entomology, Aaron's on the Twitter, always so doing much. the tweets, at Aaron W. Hodgson. You can email us if you're old school. Mm -hmm. It's O'Neill, spelled like Shaquille, O-N-E-A-L, 
at iostate.edu. And Aaron, it's just your initials, E-W-H, at iostate.edu. Subscribe. Consider subscribing. Why not? Then you'll know immediately when a new episode launches. It'll be so quick in yours. Uh, iTunes, <laughs> Stitcher, Google Play, Pocket Cast. Cue the outro music. All right. We did it. Next time, Matt. Brown and down. <laughs> <laughs>